All right, we'll start today with a little audience participation. Uh, and don't be shy. Don't worry if you don't know the answers to these, this question. But if you've been a Christian for a while and you've been to Bible studies for a while, you know at least, I'll bet you know at least a couple of what I'm about to ask you. Jesus, in the book of John, uses the phrase, I am, at least eight times. Not eight times. Eh. Um, what does he say? Let's, how many can you remember from the peanut gallery? I am, what does he say? I am the bread of life. Who remembered that one? Okay, what else? The light of the world. Triple word score, the, lay, the way, the truth, and the life. The good shepherd. The door. The vine. There I heard it, Brett. Yeah. Who said those sound guys weren't? Never mind. <laughs> what else? Oh, huh? No, not the word. John said he is the word. No, not the breath. I am the... What's that? Not a sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. And before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Do you remember the story of Moses? Do you remember the story of Moses? Because in order to understand why it's so important, why it's such a big deal that John tells us these I am statements about Jesus, really goes back to Moses, the story in the Old Testament. Moses was a baby Hebrew, another word for Jew. He was a baby Jew in Egypt, and his people were slaves. The king, or the pharaoh, was afraid that they were too numerous, so he orders the baby boys to be killed. Moses' mother, to save his life, puts him in a basket, pushes him out into the river. He is found by the king's daughter. He is adopted. He is raised in the king's royal court as part of the royal family, but he knew that he was adopted. He knew that he was Hebrew. One day, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian in anger, and he had to run away. He had to run away, and he stayed away for 40 years. He became a shepherd out in the wilderness, in a land called Midian. Now, 40 years after this event happened, Moses had a vision. He was tending his flocks and he found a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being burned up. As he approached the bush, a voice spoke to him, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And then the voice proceeded to tell him, I am the Lord your God. I've heard the cries of my people. The time has come for me to rescue them from Egypt. And I've chosen you, Moses, to be the one to go and tell the king of Egypt that your time's up. Let my people go. Moses has uh, 101 excuses why he shouldn't be the one to do it. 
not only is he, does he know that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, isn't going to listen to him, his own people, he knows, are not too impressed with his legacy. Yeah, sure, he rose up and killed the guy who was beating the Hebrew slave, but then he left them. He ran away. What do you think happened to the Hebrews as a result of Moses killing one of the, one of the Egyptian soldiers? You think they were punished a little bit for that? You think the gauntlet came down on them a little bit for that? Of course. And Moses was gone, raised in the lap of luxury. The one time in life he might have had to experience what it's like to be a Hebrew, and he ran away. Moses, no, they're not going to listen to me. So Moses says to God, he says, who am I going to tell them sent me? Because they're not going to believe me. And God says to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. Tell them, I am has sent you. Only God can claim for himself the name, I am. 30 seconds of deep dive, and then we'll get back to shallow stuff? No. Whatever. Here we go. I got to tell you this, though. You got to understand this. You and me, our identity, it's all contingent. I tell you my name. How did I get my name? I was given my name by my parents. In order for you to understand my name, we have to use the same alphabet. We're dependent upon that. In order to be who I who am I? Tell me something, tell you something about myself. I like baseball. I like football. I like music. In order for that to be true of me, I need there to be a thing called baseball. Such a thing as football. Such a thing as music. I'm part of St. Andrew. I need there to be a thing as St. Andrew. I'm a man. I need there to be a thing uh, uh, such as a body. I'm a father. That means I need there to be. I depend on my kids in order for me to be a father. Without my kids, I wouldn't be a father. Make sense? Everything you say about yourself is contingent on something or somebody else in order for it to be true. Everything. Everything. Everything that you say, everything that is true about you is contingent. It requires something else to be. In order for it to be true about you. Not with God. Not with God. That's why him, I am and theologians and linguists have, have difficulty even translating the phrase in Hebrew. I am who I am. I will be. I am what I will be. He is the I am, the only one whose existence, whose being is not contingent on anything. If it weren't, if you didn't, if nothing else existed in all the world, he would still be God. He would still be triune. He would still be almighty. He would still be all loving. He would still be, nothing would change about God if everything else Went away. This is what a big deal it is. So can you see now, fast forward a few thousand years, John, writing the fourth gospel, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John was the fourth one 
to write. He wrote later than the other ones. And he's coming back full circle. And he's saying, no, no, no. One of the main things people have to understand about my best friend Jesus is what he said about himself. And what he said about himself was, I am. He equated himself with God Almighty. So what does this mean for us today? Because Jesus spoke so clearly about who he was, you and me, as we read the book of John, or the Bible, but specifically for today, the book of John, we have to make a decision. Who do you say that I am? Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? And I will read to you a, a passage from Mere Christianity, the book C.S. Lewis, that I've read to you several times before. You probably know this passage. But he, C.S. Lewis, popularized what pastors had been teaching for a long time. When he wrote it this way, he popularized the three options that we have when it comes to who we say Jesus is. He writes as follows. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Who is Jesus to you? He was not confused about his identity, and he was not unclear about communicating that identity to you through the Bible. Is he your God? Not a genie in a bottle. Not a good teacher. But God. 
Today we're turning to uh, the I am statement, and I'm not doing them in order, but in case you're keeping track, I'm going to bounce around. But the first I am statement of Jesus from the book of John that we are going to treat is found in chapter 10, verse 11. If you'd like to tap or turn to that, I will read it for you now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is God's word. Jesus is the good shepherd. And, of course, that implies that there are other shepherds out there that are bad or that are at least not so good. The text that Janet read to us was a, text, was a, was a, um, a reminder that God gave to Ezekiel that the leaders, the pastors and the priests of Israel instead of loving and guiding the people, had used the people. They were weenies. They had no backbone. As soon as trouble came, they tucked tail and ran. And the time had come for God to do what God does to lousy shepherds. I don't want you to be a lousy shepherd. You may not be the good shepherd, capital G. No, you won't. There's only one good shepherd, but I sure don't want you to be a lousy shepherd. Now, I told the kids just a little bit ago, every one of us is a shepherd. In just a little bit, we're going to ordain Cheryl Chalmers to the office of deacon. She's going to be a shepherd in a special kind of way, and we're going to honor that. But every one of us is a shepherd. We are an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. We have people in our lives that we can influence for good or for bad. We have things that God's given us that belong to him, but that we are responsible for for a moment. How do we treat those things? How will we wield that influence? Are you like a hired hand or are you like a shepherd? Are you willing to lead others astray if it's better for you? That's the way of the world. Take care of yourself first. 
speaking of deacons and elders and church leaders, I once knew a guy who was a pretty ornery guy. Uh, Mac was loud and uh, outspoken. He was never shy to give his opinion, usually a critical opinion. And he spoke, uh, he said inappropriate things. Particularly, he said inappropriate things uh, to women. Not heinous, horrendous things, but trust me, inappropriate. Now, everybody in Mac's church, elders and deacons included, they rolled their eyes, kind of smiled a half smile, and they would say to one another, oh, that's just Mac. Until somebody had the guts to be a shepherd and say, you know what? We don't act that way here. That's not okay. It was poor shepherding to say, oh, that's just Mac. Because you know what? Mac was never taught the value of submitting joyfully to authority, of saying, you know what, I was, you're right, I'm wrong. It was poor shepherding because it sent a message to others in the church that that behavior is okay here. It was poor shepherding because it sent the message to others in the church that this is how we are here. See, nobody else who visited the church, newcomers, none of them rolled their eyes and said, oh, that must just be Mac. None of them. You know what they thought? You know what they said to, the, to each other? I guess this is how they are here. Now, was it easier for the shepherds of that flock to just roll their eyes and say, oh, that's just Mac. <laughs> was it easier for them? Yeah, but that was being lousy shepherds. And the Lord will not put up with lousy shepherds for long. Don't be a lousy shepherd. Every one of you is a shepherd. Every one of you has influence. You have children in your life. Think about the children of this congregation. They don't even have to be children in your own home. The children of this congregation, you don't own them. We don't own them. Their parents don't own them. They belong to God. And he, God, has put them here under your influence for but a moment. He's entrusted them to your care. How are you shepherding them? How are you shepherding? What does Jesus teach us from this text about how we're supposed to shepherd them? How not to be a lousy shepherd? You may not be a good shepherd, capital G, but at least let's, let's try by God's grace to not be lousy shepherds. Let's see what the text says. First of all, Jesus says, a good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. 
he begins and ends this teaching by saying that he lays down his life for the sheep. We don't lead to make a name for ourselves. The worst type of pastor is the pastor who depends on his people to feel okay about himself, who treats a sermon like a therapy session for himself. Good pastors, good elders, good deacons pour out their lives for the sheep that they lead. They sacrifice. Likewise, a mom or a dad whose happiness is pinned to their kid is a disaster waiting to happen, and they're all over the place. A mom or a dad who places their own happiness on their kids is a disaster waiting to happen. See, when you do that, you're not loving the kid. You're loving what the kid can do for you, how the kid can make you feel. And that is the opposite of love, if we're speaking biblically. What are you being asked to sacrifice? Maybe you can look at your life. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, looking at my life and, and, and give it, you know, saying, add a boy, add a girl, patting yourself on the back. I, I, I do sacrifice this and this and this for the ones that I lead. I think I'm doing okay. That means I'm, I'm not perfect, but, but, but thank you, Lord, for teaching me to sacrifice this, this, and this for, for the people that I lead. But there also might be people out here who, who you know that you're not sacrificing much. And I'm not up here to say what each of you is supposed to be sacrificing that you're not. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you know, I've given you this influence, I've given you this power to be a force for good or to be a force for something else, and you kind of just let it sit on the shelf. If the Holy Spirit is saying that to you, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Invite him in and say, okay, Lord, let's do this together. And sacrifice for those you're called to shepherd. Jesus says that, secondly, a, a good shepherd or a non-lousy shepherd as well suffers with the sheep. I get that from the criticism he levels at the hired hand. The hired hand sees the wolf coming, and the hired hand runs away. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus leaves the glories of heaven, and he comes to earth. And when he comes to earth, and he walks with men and women, he gets into their lives, he gets messy with their junk, he gets enmeshed in all of their problems. Sometimes he does a miracle and fixes something, but more often than not, he doesn't. More often than not, he just lives with them. He experiences what they experience alongside with them. He suffers with them. You know the word compassion means to suffer with? Compassio. 
When you have compassion for somebody, you're suffering with them. <clears throat> what should the hired hand do? The hired hand should stay with the sheep. Does that mean that he's going to win and be victorious against the wolves and the wolves aren't going to get any of the sheep? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The hired hand doesn't have that kind of power. Wolves are strong and vicious and they, they're cunning and they're in packs. And they're but the hired hand is supposed to stay with the sheep, even in the midst of danger, even when it's uncomfortable, even when he doesn't know the solution to the problem. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. You're called to face problems with people to be present. It will always be more comfortable. It will always be more comfortable to go off to your room and put your nose in a book or a device. To stay home when you could be with people. It will always be more easier to do that. But a leader is willing to suffer with the sheep. And by the way, you know what? If, you're su if, you, if you make a habit of being willing to suffer with the sheep, guess what? Their joys, their successes also become yours. It's such a powerful cure for loneliness. Loneliness, which is rampant today. Loneliness is destroying us. Because we think suffering with somebody is posting thoughts and prayers online. Man, go to their house. Man, take them out. Man, sit with them. Man. That's how you shepherd somebody. Life on life. Jesus says that he knows the sheep. He knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. Notice how each one of these is not a uh, binary choice. It's not a yes, no. It's not a flip uh, switch that you flip. Like, okay, I sacrificed. Flip, that's done. Now I can go do something else. Okay, I suffered with so-and-so. Blip, okay, that's done. Okay, I know. Blip about you now, so that's good. I did my... Notice how it's all lifelong. It's all lifelong process. A good shepherd knows the sheep. You get to know the sheep. You're always and forever asking questions. You're being curious. Well, this is important in parenting, too. How easy it is to stop being curious about your kids. Huh? And just tell them stuff all the time. But how different it would be to be genuinely curious. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What are your opinions? What are your beliefs? How have they changed? What's going on? Are we curious about one another? I'm going to tell you, it's a lot easier to not be genuinely curious. It's a lot easier to keep it at the small talk. How are you today? Fine. Good. Have a good New Year. Oh, yeah. Have a good Christmas. Oh, yeah. It's easier but it's lousy shepherding. 
Jesus then says he has to go. His work is not complete until he goes and gets the other sheep. A non-lousy shepherd looks for more sheep. A non-lousy shepherd looks for more sheep. Jesus is telling his Jewish listeners that, you know what? I'm not here just for you. I am the good shepherd of the whole daggum world. And I'm going to go. And people from every nation and tribe, every people group, they're all going to hear about me. And their ears are going to tell them that this is true. And they're going to come to me. And I'll be their shepherd. And they'll be my sheep. Old, the old preacher Steve Brown, who I like to listen to, has a phrase that he always uses. He says, I'm just an old beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. I'm just an old beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. If you've known the care of the Good Shepherd... If he's fed you, if he's cared for you, if he's forgiven your sins, if he's saved you, if he's given you a new meaning for life, a new reason for living, if he's given you the promise of eternity in a kingdom that will never end, why wouldn't you tell other people about that? Why wouldn't you go out looking for more sheep? I'm just, and and no, it's not because I figured it out because I'm smarter than everybody else. Or I got all the right. No, it's I'm a look, I'm just a beggar who wants to tell other beggars where I found bread. Now the last point that I have in your in your uh, notes page today isn't something Jesus says specifically, but I think it's implied in the whole thing. A shepherd needs sheep, doesn't he? I got to be a good sheep. If I'm going to be a good shepherd, or at least a non-lousy shepherd, if I'm going to be a non-lousy shepherd, I got to be a good sheep. I have to be a good sheep. If your kids don't see you following the shepherd, they won't follow the shepherd. If I haven't been filled up by how well he's cared for me, I cannot care for you. Or if I do, I'll be doing it In a grouchy way, not in the way of the good shepherd. You cannot pour into others what hasn't first been poured in to you. You cannot pour into others what hasn't first been poured into you. We've said a lot today. We've said a lot today, partly because we had to talk about the theology behind the phrase, I am. And that was a big deal. Who do you say that Jesus is? And then we've shifted gears, and we've really thought about leadership and influence. I hope you've thought about the people in your life that you have influence over, whether you're an official leader by title or not. You could just be friends in the lunchroom. You have influence. I hope you've thought about them and the ways in which you're using that influence. Are you willing to sacrifice for them? Are you willing to suffer with them? Are you willing to know them? To really know them? And are you willing to look for other people that you can influence? 
because they're everywhere. They're all around you. And friends, so many of them are lost. They're lost, not because they're stupid or extra wicked or anything like that, but they're lost because they just they, they haven't found the bread yet. 